Well, today, good morning. Uh, we're going to resume a series of messages that we were involved in in last fall called The Ministry of the Resurrected Christ. And we're preaching, been preaching through the book of Acts. And so we're going to resume Acts and uh, <clears throat> we'll complete, hope to complete this series of messages as the Lord leads us uh, before, just before Easter. And so uh, I, I encourage you to open your Bible. And today we're in the 14th chapter of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, I hope that you'll follow along and, and uh, got your copy of God's Word as we look in the book of Acts together. Remember, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. In the 14th chapter, remember that in chapter number 13, that God has worked powerfully in chapter number 11. There are believers in Antioch, and they begin to witness to Jews. They've been dispersed because of persecution in Judea and Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel, and then they begin to preach the gospel also to the Greeks and Gentiles. Remember how they send Barnabas down, and Barnabas recognizes that this indeed is the hand of the Lord, and these Gentiles are being saved. And uh, word gets back to Jerusalem that God is at work, and indeed it is a work of God. He says, I need help, and who will help me? And he looks and goes and finds Saul in Tarsus, and he brings him back with him to Antioch in Syria and says, uh, and Saul saw the hand of God was at work, and they taught considerable numbers, and, and many were coming to Christ, and the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Then they went up to Jerusalem to take a relief offering and tell them how God was at work. And God sends them back. They bring John Mark with them. And uh, they come back. The church at Antioch is gathered together. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And Barnabas and Saul knew that God was calling them to take the gospel to Jews and other locations as well as to Gentiles. And so the Spirit of God moved among the church. After praying and fasting, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them out to that work. It says in chapter 13 that they were sent by the Holy Spirit. And so they went on mission. And they take John Mark and maybe some others with us. And you know the story about how they moved. And then they went to Cyprus. And in Cyprus, they went around the island and preached and then they made their way over to Asia Minor, and they land in Perga, at Pamphylia. And uh, there, John Mark gets discouraged or fearful or homesick or something, and he leaves Barnabas and Saul and sort of deserts them and goes back home. Barnabas and Saul go to Pisidian Antioch, and there God powerfully uses them, and many come to Christ. But as often the case, those Jews who disbelieve, as well as some other rabble from the city, turn against Barnabas and Saul and end up driving them with persecution out of the city and the threat of their life. And from there, they go to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. That's where the story picks up. And join me, if you will, in chapter number 14, beginning with verse number 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke, <clears throat> pardon me, 
in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbes, cities in Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet! And he sprang up and began walking. And the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and bring you good news that you should turn from these things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas the Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Amen. Father in heaven, speak to us today from your word. Father, help us to be a church and to be on mission like these men, so faithful in taking the gospel to a broken and lost world. In Jesus' name, amen. I think when I look at these, these stories 
of the missionary journey. This is the first missionary journey of Paul. As I look at these missionary journeys, I see their extraordinary commitment to Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. Don't you? It's amazing. And I submit to you, no church is going to really make a difference in this world unless that church is filled with believers who are committed and loyal to Jesus Christ above all. Amen. They were also committed to his message, his gospel. And they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were passionate for those who didn't or had never heard the gospel so that they might be saved. They cared about lost people. They were, went on mission out of obedience to Christ, but God had put a passion and a love in their heart for those who had never heard the gospel, and they were changing the world. This message is about transforming the world. As a matter of fact, the statement, a vision statement for our church that we've used for some long, long time is that we would boldly follow Christ, transforming the world one person at a time. That's what we see at Barnabas and Saul. As they're going and preaching the gospel, they're obeying Christ, they're loving people, they're, they're giving of themselves, and they're trying to persuade others, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were passionate about preaching Jesus and preaching the gospel and turning from sin and turning from idolatry and turning to the living God who alone could save them. And that Jesus Christ alone is Savior of the world. This was the preaching of the gospel. When young Billy Graham came on the scene preaching last century and began to preach the gospel and preach the Bible, and he always would say in his sermons, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And, and they began, some people made fun of him. And one liberal professor said at a, at a liberal seminary school said, that kind of preaching is going to set Christianity back a hundred years. And Graham said, I hope to send it back 2,000 years. Because the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And preaching Jesus. Notice the mission preaching of these disciples. In verse number one, it says, they came about that in Iconium, and this is always their habit, they go to the synagogue of the Jews. So they go to where the Jews would worship on the Sabbath day. And while they're there, they begin to speak. Now listen to how Luke describes it in verse number one. They begin to speak in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both Jews and Gentiles. They were preaching Jesus in the synagogue, and among the Gentiles. And this was the powerful message. They spoke in such a manner. What, does that, what is he saying? They were persuasive. They were declaring the gospel. They were arguing and debating and pointing from Scripture how Jesus is Messiah and that salvation is found in him alone. Notice in verse number three, they are speaking boldly. They spent a long time there speaking boldly. 
with, uh, upon, with their reliance upon the Lord. They were trusting the Lord. They were proclaiming boldly the gospel. Notice in chapter 14, verse number 7, they continued to preach the gospel. Notice in verse number 21, and when the, after they had preached the gospel in that city. Central and core to the whole ministry of Barnabas and Saul was the preaching of the gospel. My friends, the core quality of every evangelical church is the preaching of the gospel. The passion of our lives ought to be declaring the gospel. And the gospel is this that God loves you, that all of us have sinned, all of us have broken God's law. There's none right, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of his glory. There was first man and the first woman, and they willfully rebelled against God and disobeyed him. It brought sin into the life. It brought destruction into light. It brought uh, a separation between the man and the woman. It brought distance between them and God. It brought death into their life, and it brought a destruction into the world. This, this whole plan of God is the restoration of mankind in his world for his glory. That's what the gospel is all about. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, who's him? Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And God has sent his one and only son into the world. He was born among us, lived as a man, never sinned ever, completely righteous and fully just. But the just one died for unjust ones, that he might bring us to God. We saw him and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's no other man that's ever lived like Jesus. Jesus is the promise of God. And Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus only rose again from the dead. And he is our hope. And that was the center of their preaching. This simple gospel message. But there's power. In that message. And the only way that a world is transformed is when believers are faithfully telling the gospel. I can listen, folks, can I share with you? This world's not going to be changed by politics. Amen. There's some of you that are tempted to think that Donald Trump is going to change this world in a good way. And some of you think if we could ever get rid of him, it'd change the world in a good way. I'm telling you this. The Messiah isn't any political figure. It's Jesus Christ. And only he can change this world. And it's not through weapons of war that the world will be changed. It's not through military strength. It's through gospel preaching. We've got to be faithful in gospel preaching. The hope for Iran is the gospel preaching. The hope in Iraq is gospel preaching. The hope in San Francisco is gospel preaching. The hope in St. Louis is gospel preaching. The hope in Troy, Illinois is gospel preaching. 
telling the good news and pointing people to Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will change the world. It's found in the gospel. Why do you think these men went all over the face of the earth preaching the gospel? Because that's what would change the world. Listen to how Paul describes this. You have your Bible. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, beginning verse number 1. Listen close. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen. This was, this was Paul's conviction. It's the simple message of the cross. And this is the core and the foundation of the church and of missions of kingdom expansion. It's the gospel of Jesus, the preaching of Christ and him crucified and his resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 17. Look with me. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those perishing foolishness, but to us are being saved. It is the power of God. Do y'all believe that? God's word is powerful, and it changes us. Now listen, the word of the cross, the gospel message, is so simple that even a child can understand it. But it is so deep and mysterious that great scholars can't fully comprehend it. It is amazing. But when you share the gospel story, God has ordained that it has power. And as you share it, the Spirit of God moves through the words of Christ. And he awakens hearts, and they turn to Christ for the glory of God. This is this great ministry that God has given us. The second thing I want us to consider today and look at is mission depending. They are depending on the Lord. Notice in Acts chapter 14, it says some of the Jews disbelieved in verse number 2. And they stirred up, they poisoned, and bittered them against the brethren. They, they stir up trouble against them. And they spent a long time speaking boldly upon the Lord. It says, maybe the, uh, your translation says boldly, and the ESV says boldly for the Lord. New American Standard says boldly upon the Lord meaning their reliance and their trust is upon Jesus because their strength is found in Jesus, not in their, not in their style, not in their cleverness, 
not in their slick debate skills. Their reliance was on the Lord. And folks, we need to depend our ministry on Jesus Christ. Not on our marketing skills, but on him. Rely on him. Trust on him, in him. Rest in him. Because he's the one that does the growing. He's the one that does the saving. He's the one that is at work in this broken world. Amen. Sometimes we get to thinking, well, it's all about me. No, it's not about you. It's all about him. And we need him to do work in this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 5. Listen to what the scripture says. What then is Apollos, great preacher, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Amen? It's his work, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, and you are God's building. It's his work, and he's doing it through us, but he's doing it for his glory. Listen, he can take even us and use us to change the world, but don't ever think that you're changing the world. It's him that's changing the world. Amen? So we're dependent upon him. Why do, these, why do you think these missionaries went about preaching, risking their lives, depending on the Lord, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? I submit to you, first of all, number one, they knew that that was the only hope for man. Secondly, it's, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Listen, folks, listen. There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ and him alone. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And so we preach the gospel, for in it the power of God is revealed. It, in, in it, God is at work in this world. The success and the fruit is from God, and there's no plan B for this world. There's only one plan, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. This summer, we had an opportunity to spend some time, uh, Christy and I, with some of our missionaries, IMB missionaries, in England and in France, and uh, where they're serving. And as we had an opportunity to spend some time with them, they were sharing about us about their work and how God was at work, how God was at work in Italy where they were before, how God is at work in England and how people are coming to Christ. In London in particular, many are coming to faith in Christ and doors are flung open, wide open. A few days later, we met with a missionary in France. He was talking about how hard the work was and how difficult and that they're in a time of, of, of saturating the soil with prayer and prayer walking and praying for God to open doors and God to open hearts. And he says it's so difficult here because they've cast off all authority and they reject the Scripture. And so they talked about their strategy in both places. This one missionary says when we were in India, 
we, uh, formerly, before going to France, they served in India. And they talked about how the Indian people were open and hungry to hear the gospel of Christ. And then we talked about strategy. And he said, Brother Tim, our, our strategy is simple. We're walking the streets of this city and we're praying. Every day as we're walking and living and interacting with people, we're praying. We're prayer walking for a city. We're praying for people. And when we see people in need or they share something about need, I say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? And we pray for them, pray for God to work in their heart and their life. And then as we pray for them, then we, we share and tell the gospel story to anyone who listens over coffee, in small groups, one-on-one, in the streets, on the subway, wherever we encounter. We're talking about the gospel. At the preschool where our children go, we're talking about the gospel. Inviting teachers in the home, we're talking about the gospel. But we know that only God can open their hearts to faith and believe in Jesus. Missionaries in London, we're having many are coming to Christ in London. And he shared with us 180 young adults have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the last 24 months. Did you all hear that? 180 young adults. They're meeting in small groups and Bible studies, and God has changed the world. Folks at Google and folks at Apple and folks that are working in some of those great corporations in London are now having small groups and Bible studies in those buildings. The power of the gospel changing the world. He said, we've rented space and we work space and we, we have all these young adults coming to hear the gospel. He said, they hate the church, the organized church. They, they don't want to be a part of the church. He said, so we say, uh, we don't lead with, are you a part of a church? Because he said, they, none of them go to church. And he said, well, we're talking about it. He says, I'm in, involved in, I'm a, I, and they say, well, what do you do for a living? And he says, I tell him, I'm a spiritual advisor. And he says, oh, really? He says, I think I need some spiritual advisement myself. He said, well, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. He says, as a matter of fact, we've been studying the teachings of Jesus on justice. He said, oh, well, I didn't know about that. I can I get in that group and study about the teachings of Jesus on justice? He said, sure you can. What do they do? They go right to the Bible, and they study the Word, and their lives are being transformed. God's at work here and around the world. Amen. But they depend on him. Mission power. Where is the power at? Notice in in, 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 uh, Acts chapter 14, verse number 3, it says, Therefore, they spent a long time speaking boldly with reliance on the Lord, it says in the New American Standard, and who was bearing witness. Who was bearing witness? The Lord himself, to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders would be done by their hands. I find this interesting. When you get involved in doing what God is doing, and you're sharing the gospel, God just shows up in the midst of that. And in the midst of that, he is bearing witness. The witness that comes on the scene to give testimony and an amen to what they're preaching is God himself. And he gives testimony to the word of their gra- of grace. 
because they're preaching about God's grace. Folks, our salvation is not earned by our merit. It's by the grace of Almighty God. The preaching of Paul was the message of grace. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Titus tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all His grace. At work, it's a message of grace. When we preach the gospel and the true gospel, is the gospel of grace found in Jesus Christ. If it is works, you've moved away from the gospel. As Paul writes to these Galatian churches a little while later after visiting them. It's all about the grace of God. But when you preach Jesus and the cross of Christ and the grace of God, then God himself shows up in a powerful way, transforming lives. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Amen. So notice it says in verse number three, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This were, these were attesting signs that accompanied the work and the preaching of the disciples. And those miracles and signs were to give evidence that this message they were preaching is true and from God himself. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So here, through Barnabas and Paul, not the twelve, but Barnabas and Paul, Luke sort of calls them apostles right here in this passage, but these miracles and signs and wonders are evidenced before the very eyes of these people. Do you believe that God's still working miracles today, Pastor? I sure do. Why in the world we pray if we don't believe that, right? Yes. He extends life. He heals. Sometimes here. Sometimes extends our days. But all men die. And all women die. We all die. It's appointed for man once to die. All of us will die. And you can have great faith. And I know men and women of great faith that get sick. And they're great men and women of faith. And they pray. And they die. Does that mean God doesn't love them? No. He does love them. My God is a God of healing, but the, our ultimate healing is not here. It's there. Amen. With the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. But these signs and wonders are convincing proofs that God is at work in the world. And in his sovereignty, he chooses. But we're all healed when we go through death and enter into life and the resurrection of our Savior. And that's a wonder and a sign right there. The testimony of Mission Field is, yes, God is at work. 
God still does miraculous, mind-boggling things. But I just tell you right now, I don't believe every one of these faith healers that go around, like lay your hand on the TV and send me a hundred bucks. I'm not doing that, folks. I don't believe in all that. It's just baloney. Our missionaries in England were telling a story. Uh, they were talking about how God answers prayers in mighty ways. And we were walking through the streets, one, and we encountered two or three people as we were walking. And, and there was a man who's kind of crippled. We were walking along the way. And the missionary young man who looked at me, he said, I think we ought to pray for him. I said, let's do it. He turned to him, encountered him, talked to him for a minute. His name was Joseph. Just began to talk to Joseph for a minute. Joseph looked at him like, are, are you? and he said, I understand. I see you're kind of crippled here. He said, are you struggling? And he said, I know you're probably struggling with all that. And he said, he said I'd love to just pray with you if I could. And the guy was shocked. He looked at him and said, sure, yeah. And so he prayed for him. And when he prayed for him, his leg wasn't instantaneously healed at that moment. But let me tell you what did happen. He opened his heart. And he just looked at him and he said, why would you want to pray for me? And he shared the gospel with him. It was natural. He tells a story. He says, this is just what we do. We pray for people. When we hear a need, we pray for it. We ask God to move. We ask God to heal. We ask God to work. And he said, we have seen some amazing things happen. We talked about what trip that they went to Portugal to help some missionaries in Portugal. And they were in a, a center uh, 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 plaza, and there was a crippled man that was there, and, and um, they had been trying to share the gospel with some young adults that were around a fountain. And this man that was kind of crippled, an older gentleman, they, they said, can we pray for you? He said, yes, and they prayed for him. And when they prayed for him, all of a sudden he was strengthened. And he put aside the walker that he had and put it on his arm, and he walked away. And all of a sudden, everybody, they had their attention. And all these young adults started asking questions. And they took pictures of this guy. And everybody was just kind of rejoicing. And then they started sharing the gospel, and 25 young adults gave their life to Christ around that fountain that day. God does things. Can you say this? God, you can't put God in your box. And I don't believe in all this name it, claim it, God's got to do it the way I want him to do it. No, he's a sovereign God and he works how God is working. But as God works, it's attesting to his gospel. Folks, make the gospel primary and then trust God to do the work. Amen. Example of this is found in Lystra. So there's a certain man that is sitting there. We just read it in the text just a moment ago. I find this a really interesting story. And so he is lame from his mother's womb. That means from birth. He's never been able to walk. And he's sitting there, and uh, uh, he's no strength in his leg. And Paul is speaking. And as Paul is speaking, this guy gets locked in on Paul, and he's listening to what Paul is preaching. 
And all of a sudden, Paul looks at him, and they've locked eyes, and Paul fixes his gaze on him, and he sees that he has faith to be made well. Your translation says faith to be saved. It means faith to be healed and whole and right with God. And he saw that faith in him, and with a loud voice, Paul says, stand up, up upright on your feet. And he leapt up, he leaped up, and began to walk. Isn't that amazing? Right there. He, it was amazing. And it says he was just a certain man. We don't know the man's name. But as I was listening to that, as I was reading that, I was thinking about that. And maybe he asked some questions. It was amazing. It was a miracle. It was an attestation of what it was a, a, a sign. It was a, a wonder that happened that this man who had never, ever walked before in his entire life, he never even walked as a baby, so he didn't even know how to walk. And all of a sudden, God so works in his life that he believes, trusts in God, stands to his feet and starts walking, leaping and praising God. Is that amazing? It is amazing. Reminds me of a very similar story when Peter and John are on their way to the temple in the hour of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's a man begging for alms outside of the gate called Beautiful. And as he's begging for alms, Peter and John look over at him, and the man fixes his eyes on them, thinking he might receive something from them. But Peter said, we're preachers, we're poor as dirt. That's not what he said. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. The man stood to his feet and began to leap and jump and goes into the temple praising God. And everybody knew that that was the man who used to beg outside of the beautiful gate. And everybody knew he had never walked before. And everybody knew it was a miracle of God. It gave voice and credence to the message that they're preaching is true. Jesus did great wonders similarly. There's a story of the paralytic that's similar to this very story that we just read with Paul and Barnabas. There's some friends come bringing their friend that's on a stretcher, and they're trying to get him in to see Jesus. The power was on the Lord to perform miracles, and and they said, we've got to bring our friend in. They said, the room is filled. And there's scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law and skeptics who are in the room as well as those who are seeking God. And the house is filled. And they climb up on the side. You remember the story, don't you? They climb up on the roof. What do they do? They dig a hole in the roof. And can you imagine being the homeowner? They dig a hole in the roof. And then the mud tiles and clay tiles are removed. The muds that they dig through in the thatch. And then all of a sudden, there's an opening, beams of light coming down into the room where Jesus is teaching, and there's four little faces looking down there, and then coming down, and they bring the ele handmade elevator right down in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at the man, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. He saw their faith and his faith. He said, sin, your, your, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Well, the religious leaders all began to tear their robes saying, blasphemy, thinking, 
Who alone can forgive sins but God? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he looks at them and he says, which is easier? Forgive sins or say to this man, take up your pallet and walk. They don't say anything. He says, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your pallet, young man, and go home. And the man stood in their presence, grabbed his pallet, and ran out of that place rejoicing. And everybody knew that this was no ordinary rabbi. This is God in the flesh. Wow. That's what a sign does. It says there's nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. Amen. Then also there's persecution and suffering that we experience. Oh, how crowds can be fickle and turn on you in a minute. Notice, they rush out and said, wow, these are like gods that have come to visit us. And this one's Zeus and this is, uh, this is Mercury. And, and, and they, they begin to, to just think that these are gods. They, Zeus and Hermes or Jupiter and Mercurius, the Latin words. They start to go worship them like they're pagan gods, and, and they're speaking the Laconian language, and Paul doesn't even understand what they're doing, and all of a sudden, he and Barnabas realize that they rush out, they say, stop, stop, stop. This is what we're trying to get you to do. Turn from these things, these idols, and serve the living God. And so they said, no, we're going to offer a sacrifice to you guys. And he says, no, 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 stop, stop. You're gods. No, no. And then some Jews come not long after, and they begin to stir them up and poison their minds, and they turn on Paul, and they turn on Barnabas, and they stone him so much that Paul is left for dead, and they drag him out of the side of the city and think he's dead. That is a fickle crowd, right? And they gather around him. I'm sure they prayed for him. Paul stood up. They went back in the city, and then they went to a, another city and began to do the same thing. Jesus will divide. The gospel brings division. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12. It brings a son against a father, a mother against a daughter. Jesus, when you preach Jesus, you fall into one category or another. You either trust him, accept him, or you begin to reject him. Amen. And when you preach and talk about Jesus, it has a dividing effect. And with that division comes contention, and with that contention often comes persecution. And we should not be surprised about these things. Paul says to them, with many trials and tribulations, we go through this life. I don't have time to look at all the Scripture verses about that today. I wanted to share with you. But, but I understand that we shouldn't get this mindset. It's a very immature thought that I've been serving God faithfully, so I shouldn't have any conflict or suffering in my life. That's not true. When you preach Jesus, you will have conflict. You should expect persecution. And you might go through suffering, most likely. And when you do, you ought to rejoice for the privilege to share in his suffering. Since Jesus suffered, are you better than him? 
since Jesus died on the cross, shouldn't you bear your own cross? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow after me. All redemptive ministry involves suffering and hardship. Notice the mission follow-up that takes place. Whenever they've finished they, and, and, and they make their way from Derby. They're making way, their way back through those cities where they'd been before. I love this. Notice in verse number 21, and after they preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and then back into Iconium, then to Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, strengthening the souls. Listen to what they do. This is our ministry, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God, and appointed elders in every church, got a church planted, started with elders, and then prayed with fasting, and then commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed in. So how do they strengthen the souls of these disciples? They exhort them, they encourage them, they testify to them, they give witness to them, they teach them from the Scripture. Not only that, they encourage them. They're trying to convince, con, uh, to convince them to continue in the faith. They plant a church structure, appoint elders in the church. They pray and fast with the brothers and sisters, and then they commend them to the Lord. What does that mean? It means they say, God, they're yours. Can I listen to that? Listen. So much of God's work is hindered by our control issues. It's his people. It's his work. It's his church. Amen. Commend them to him. Amen. In places across the world, small house churches are formed. And, and they're formed with the intention of those who start those churches to move on and start other churches and for those churches to replicate within a few weeks. And in some nations around the world, it is happening at an unbelievable faith because they're trusting God to grow his church. Get the gospel right. Preach the gospel true. And then commend them to the Lord as they've put their faith in Christ. And number, uh, finally, our last point is a mission reporting. And that's exactly what happens in verse number 26. And from there, they sailed to Antioch after they committed to the, uh, been, been committed to the grace of God for the work they accomplished. And they arrived and gathered the church together. This is the church that sent them. They began to report all the things that God had done with them, how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. They reported. They were rejoicing. They would get refreshed and renewed to go back out on another journey. That's a mission-sending church. There's nothing like when you've sent others and committed them God's grace when they come home and begin to tell you how God has worked. Then we all rejoice together in what God is doing. That's why I want you to come to our global missions banquet, our celebration, Dessert Fellowship, that's coming up, that you might hear about what God's called us to do the mission God has set before us, and how God has been working. Amen? Because at the core of who we are as a church, 
is the gospel and the mission that he's called us to. Father in heaven, I thank you for your truth, for your word, for your power. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.